0: Welcome to Professor Lan A.I.'s podcast series, Understanding Humanity and A.I.'s Perspective. In this series, we asked our learning and narrating A.I. what a professor would teach a group of students if they wanted to understand the totality of the human experience in one hundred lectures. Our A.I. then proceeded to define the lecture topics, research them, compose its findings into podcasts, and narrate them in its own voice. This episode is titled Christianity and the Rise of the Church We hope you enjoy Part 1 Introduction to Christianity The origins of Christianity, a religious ethos that came to saturate the Western world and profoundly shape global culture, are rooted in the historical and cultural contexts of the Eastern Mediterranean, particularly the tumult of Roman Judea in the first century B.C.E. From here emerged a seemingly peripheral movement that grew into one of the world's most influential religions. At the heart of Christianity stands the figure of Jesus of Nazareth, a charismatic teacher and healer, lauded as the Messiah by his followers. Born in Bethlehem during the reign of Herod the Great, Jesus lived in an era fraught with political unease and socio-economic disparity. His teachings, rooted in Jewish tradition, bore an exceptional message of love, compassion, forgiveness, and unequivocal devotion to God. They appealed not only to the literates, but more potently to the diversely illiterate masses of the society. Parables and metaphorical stories filled his preaching, making moral and spiritual teachings more accessible and personal to his listeners. His concept of Kingdom of God depicted an egalitarian society aspired by many. Jesus' life, however, ended abruptly and violently. Accused of blasphemy and instigating insurrection against Roman rule, He was crucified, a punitive spectacle made by the Romans. Yet it was this brutal finale and the subsequent claim of resurrection that catapulted the nascent movement onto a divergent path. According to the Gospels, Jesus after death was resurrected, thus confirming His divinity for followers. This founding event, far from being a terminus, marked a catalytic beginning. The crucifixion and the resurrection established the paradigm of sacrifice, redemption, and eternal life in Christian theology, providing not only a narrative closure to Jesus' life, but also an interpretive key to understanding Christian soteriology. Allegedly a defeat, the event was viewed as a victorious and divine act of self-sacrifice for the salvation of humanity. However, with the absence of their leader, Jesus' disciples faced a probable disintegration. The resurrection event became pivotal and fueled the nascent faith, galvanizing the disciples into a dynamic group who spearheaded the task of spreading the teachings of Jesus to wider geographies. In the winding roads of history it is often unparalleled events and unprecedented personalities who alter its course. But at the onset of Christianity it was perhaps the cycle of life, death and life again, that served such a purpose. From its birth in the crucible of Roman Judea, the life and teachings of Jesus, to his ignominious death and renowned resurrection, Christianity was enkindled, initiating a tale that transformed the annals of human civilization. Part Two: The Apostolic Age As Christianity emerged from the ashes of Jesus' crucifixion, a group of followers called Apostles took upon themselves the responsibility of continuing his teaching. The Apostolic Age, as it is known, was a period marked by rapid expansion, persecution and new theological debates. The Apostles, figureheads such as Peter, Andrew, John and James, held a unique and authoritative position in the early Church due to their direct connection with Jesus. On this foundation of shared experience and spiritual authority, the Apostles sowed the seeds of the Christian message throughout the regions of Judea and beyond. Crucial to this expansion was their approach to proselytizing on the personal and communal levels, and their willingness to adapt to different cultural contexts. This strategic flexibility fortified the young faith, allowing it to grow and establish roots in disparate communities across the Roman Empire. Among the apostles, no other figure was as influential in spreading Christianity as St. Paul. As a one-time persecutor of Christians, Paul's dramatic conversion on the road to Damascus embodied the transformative power of faith. His missionary journeys throughout the Eastern Mediterranean, and specifically his Hellenistic approach in integrating the Greek philosophical traditions into Christianity, dramatically contributed to the faith's expansion. This made the message more relatable thereby opening the floodgates for Gentiles into the Christian fold. As the faith spread, so did the establishment of Christian communities. These fledgling communities were characterized by their commitment to communal living, derived from their interpretation of Jesus' teachings on love, charity, and communal solidarity. Yet as the faith grew, so increased the scrutiny and eventual persecution of Christians from being accused of practicing cannibalism due to the symbolic interpretation of the eucharist to being blamed as scapegoats for societal and natural disasters the persecution of christians was episodic yet sanguinary this persecution was not aimless violence instead it served as a crucible for defining the essence of christian beliefs and the parameters of sacrificial dedication to the faith the memory of martyrs served as an everlasting monument to the strength of the faith in the face of great adversity The Apostolic Age laid the bedrock of Christianity. It was an era characterized by the spread of the faith through cultural integration, symbolized by the missions of St. Paul. The formation of early Christian communities and the resilience shown during the periods of brutal persecution formed the cornerstones of the Christian faith as we know it today. In this formative time the Christian faith boiled to its essence, a faith centered on spiritual transformation communal solidarity and unwavering defiance against persecution. Indeed, the Apostolic Age was Christianity's infancy, a time characterized by dramatic growth and an iron will to survive. The sacrifices and determination of those early members of Christian communities ensured that the faith not only survived but thrived and spread throughout the vast Roman Empire. Their resilience paved the way for the eventual recognition of Christianity as a valid religion, and later as the official religion of the Roman Empire. It was this vital period in Christian history that blazed the trail for the transformative influence of Christianity on the world stage. Part 3. From Sect to Official Religion The rise of Christianity from an obscure Jewish sect to the official religion of the Roman Empire is one of the most remarkable transformations in history. When we discuss the status of Christianity under the Roman Empire, we might easily conclude that it was an era marked by frequent violence and conflicts. Indeed, Christianity emerged in a society that was religiously diverse and not particularly tolerant. The Romans often viewed Christians with suspicion, associating their rituals with superstition, treason, even cannibalism. The religion was intermittently outlawed, and believers occasionally faced serious persecutions. The first three centuries following the death of Jesus were marked by such challenges, threatening the existence of this budding faith. However, the historical landscape began to shift dramatically in the 4th century A.D. with the ascension of a Roman emperor named Constantine the Great. Constantine was the first Roman emperor to profess Christianity, and he played a crucial role in promoting its spread throughout his empire. In 313 A.D. he issued what has come to be known as the Edict of Milan that proclaimed religious tolerance throughout the empire. Although the Edict didn't make Christianity the state religion, it did grant Christians the legal right to practice their faith openly without fear of persecution. It is against this backdrop of newfound freedom that we encounter another defining moment in the development of Christianity. The Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D. Called by Constantine himself, this council brought together bishops from across the empire to unify the Church and to settle theological. Disagreements, the most significant led by Arius, a priest from Alexandria who posited that Jesus was lesser than God the Father. That council led to the formation of a statement of faith known as the Nicene Creed, which affirmed the full divinity of Jesus Christ. By professing belief in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, the Church effectively established the cornerstone of Christian orthodoxy in response to Arianism and other theological controversies. To understand Christianity's journey from a sect to an official religion, therefore, we need to explore the wider context of the Roman Empire, appreciate the significance of an emperor's conversion, and grasp the internal struggles that shaped Christian faith. This historical evolution didn't happen in a vacuum, but was intertwined with political events, royal decisions, and theological disputes. And as we reveal these layers of history, we can better comprehend the resilience and dynamism of a faith that continues to thrive and adapt even today. Part 4. Monasticism and the Desert Fathers As the Christian faith started to take hold in society, a new form of religious expression began to emerge. This was the rise of monasticism, a clear departure from conventional social norms and an embracement of an ascetic lifestyle centered around prayer, contemplation, and manual labor. Its genesis can be traced back to the late third and early fourth century A.D., predominantly in the harsh deserts of Egypt and Syria. Initially these solitary religious hermits, later known as the Desert Fathers, lived in complete isolation or in small groups resolving themselves to a life of introspection, solitude, and struggle against spiritual temptations. One of the most historically influential figures amongst the Desert Fathers was Saint Anthony the Great. His biography, written by Athanasius of Alexandria, brought the concept of monasticism to the forefront of Christian society, showcasing his piety and devotion as an ideal for others to emulate. St. Anthony's monastic life was characterized by simplicity, humility, and a daily routine of rigorous prayer, which initiated the ascetic movement that would be pivotal in the formation of Christian monasticism. On Western soils, specifically Italy, an essential milestone in monastic history was the rule of St. Benedict in the 6th century AD. The rule proposed a communal way of monastic living, a stark contrast to the solitary and often harsh lifestyle of the Desert Fathers. Centered around the principles of prayer, labor, and community life, the rule of Saint Benedict has had an enduring influence on the nature of Western monasticism to this day. Monasticism's rise profoundly impacted Christian practices and continues to do so. These monastic pioneers embodied the teachings of Christianity at their purest level. They served as spiritual counselors, introduced a formalized schedule of daily communal prayer, known as the divine office, and ensured the preservation and proliferation of the faith through the copying of manuscripts. By creating self-sustaining communities, monks set a precedent for social services, providing refuge for the needy, and establishing places of education, medical services, and hospitality. Their stark determination to flee the world, to live a life of piety and contemplation, led to a unique spiritual intensity that advised and influenced even the emperors and bishops of their time. Monasteries became the heart of Christian spirituality, preserving and spreading Christianity through turbulent times and defining the spiritual tone of the Christian world, an impact lasting well into the modern era. As we progress through this journey of understanding Christianity and the rise of the Church, the profound influence of monasticism and the Desert Fathers is unmistakable. Their legacy continues to shape Christian practices and the communal way of living, echoing an unceasingly resonant call to seek a life rooted in simplicity, humility and a deep-seated love for God. It is this spirit of monasticism that will aid us in understanding the next stage of our exploration. THE RISE OF THE PAPACY AND CHURCH HIERARCHY PART Five. RISE OF THE PAPACY AND CHURCH HIERARCHY The rise of the papacy and the establishment of a hierarchical structure within the Church, as we consider in this section, are pivotal events that shaped the face of Christianity. Peter, one of the twelve apostles, is recognized as the first pope, kick-starting the concept of apostolic succession. David Lloyd Dusenberry, in his book The Space of Time, a sensualist interpretation of time in Augustine, Confessions 10-12, to 12, asserts that the apostolic succession posits an unbroken chain of leadership that extends from Jesus' appointment of Peter as the leader of the apostles to the ruling pope. Peter's chair, Cathedra Petri, symbolizes the unbroken line of episcopal authority that extends back to Christ himself. It sets a fundamental premise for the Roman Catholic Church, reinforcing the authority and the legitimacy of the Church and its teachings, providing institutional continuity and a sense of historical permanence. The ecclesiastical structure of the Church further evolved with identifiable roles such as bishops, priests, and deacons, establishing both a spiritual and organizational framework. Bishops emerged as successors to the apostles viewed as pastoral leaders of a geographically defined flock or a diocese. They shepherded the spiritual affairs, including sacraments and doctrinal teachings. The priests served as collaborators with the bishop in the governance of the church and primarily handled worship and the spiritual needs of individual parishes. Deacons, on the other hand, had a liturgical function and were entrusted with serving the poor in their communities. This structure allowed for well-defined roles and responsibilities, expediting the administration and spread of Christianity, especially in areas of rapid conversion. It reinforced the hierarchical nature of the Church, which relied heavily on the Pope for decisive leadership. Papal primacy, another key aspect, refers to the Pope's authority as the first among equals, and his role in safeguarding the unity of the Church. The Pope, as Bishop of Rome, is considered the global pastor, the ultimate source of spiritual authority, making him the supreme teacher and lawmaker for the Church's followers. His stewardship, as expressed in the well-known phrase where Peter is there is the Church, is not rooted merely in the temporal chain of office, but in the divine mandate given by Christ to Peter. This papal primacy in the evolution of the Church hierarchy essentially helped in unifying diverse communities under a powerful central authority in a period when the Roman world was experiencing profound shifts and changes. It endowed the Church with a sense of continuity, radiating unity of faith and communion, and vastly contributed to its expansion and influence across the known world. The culture of the leadership of the Holy See and the evolution of the ecclesiastical hierarchy remain vital to our understanding of Christianity and the Church's narrative, helping bind the Christian communities across the world under the auspices of a tradition that data back almost two thousand years. As Christianity evolves with the changes in global dynamics and the challenges of modern society, the papacy and the church hierarchy's inherent structure remain its stabilizing forces, steering the journey of the church and its followers amidst the shifts of time. Part Six Doctrinal Conflicts and Church Councils The fourth century saw a critical transitional phase for Christianity as it stood rooted in contradictions. The Arian controversy proved to be a game-changer. Arius, a presbyter in Alexandria, proposed that if the Father begat the Son, then the Son must be of a lower status. This view directly contradicted the conventional Trinitarian doctrine which posited the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as equal. The controversy escalated and culminated in the First Council of Nicaea in 325 CE, convened by Emperor Constantine. The Council drafted the Nicene Creed, which, in essence, asserted the equality of the Son with the Father and rejected Arianism. This reaffirmation of the Trinitarian belief laid the groundwork for Orthodox Christianity. Despite the Nicene Creed, discrepancies persisted within the Church, culminating in the Council of Chalcedon in 451 C.E. The Council was convened to resolve the Christological crisis triggered by the monophysite doctrine which advocated Jesus' divinity over his humanity. The Chalcedonian definition reaffirmed the dual nature, human and divine, of Christ. However, this Council's outcome resulted in a significant fractioning of the Church, giving birth to the Eastern Orthodox and Western Catholic Churches. Fast forward to the 8th century, the iconoclast controversy served as yet another watershed moment for Christianity. In conditions ripe with religious and socio-political turmoil, iconoclasm, the deliberate destruction of religious icons and symbols, gained momentum under Byzantine emperor Leo III's rule. The second commandment in the Hebrew Bible prohibiting the worship of graven images fueled iconoclasts who saw them as idols. Meanwhile, iconodules, icon worshippers, predominantly monks and laypeople, perceived icons as means of veneration, not worship. This ideological clash resulted in the Seventh Ecumenical Council in 787 CE, which defended the veneration of icons. The Council, siding with the iconodules, established the legitimacy of icons, symbolically emphasizing the incarnation of Christ—God made man. These doctrinal conflicts illustrate how theological debates shaped early Christianity. The church councils dictated the course of orthodoxy, redefining tenets and combating perceived heresy. While some may perceive these quarrels as mere theological minutiae, they are in essence the church's attempt to systematize the nascent Christian doctrine, ever grappling with the divine mystery and human grasp to comprehend it. The ramifications of these conflicts and councils echo down to contemporary Christian practices, shaping the religion's evolution over the centuries. Part 7. Foundation of Christian Theology The intellectual soil that fostered Christian theology was tillered largely by the early church fathers whose thoughts shaped what could be considered conventional or orthodox Christianity for centuries to come. Pioneers of faith, they skillfully bridged the gap between Jesus Christ's earthy ministry and the sprawling theological developments that would shape Christendom. Among these, Augustine of Hippo and Thomas Aquinas indisputably leave lasting imprints in the Church's theological unfolding. Augustine of Hippo, a man of keen intellect marred by a wayward life, turned his worldly wisdom into a tool for theological exploration after his conversion. He grappled with the concept of original sin, a doctrine that states humanity's inherently flawed nature characterized by a predisposition toward sin. Augustine was instrumental in developing this doctrine, advocating that mankind's disobedience was inherited from the biblical account of Adam and Eve's fall in the Garden of Eden. However, Augustine's theology did not merely center on humanity's depraved condition, but also on an antidote—divine grace. Augustine proposed that God, in his limitless benevolence, extends his unmerited favor or graces to humans, enabling them to achieve salvation. Like the lighthouse guiding the lost ship through treacherous waters, God's grace, according to Augustine, was the beacon leading mankind from its fallen state to reconciliation with the divine. Fast forward to the medieval period and we meet Thomas Aquinas, another monumental influence in Christian theology. Aquinas, much like Augustine, was an intellectual colossus whose life work aimed at synthesizing faith-based theology and human reason traditionally perceived as polar ends of the spectrum. He laboured to reconcile Scripture with Greek and Roman philosophical concepts, predominantly Aristotle's. Aquinas approached theology with a firm belief that faith and reason were not contradictory, but rather complementary pathways leading to the same truth. His philosophical theology, often encapsulated in his magnum opus, Summa Theologica, endeavoured to prove that Christianity was not just a religion of blind faith but also a faith that could withstand philosophical scrutiny. Through the profound contributions of Augustine and Aquinas, among myriad others, intellectual groundwork was laid for nuanced and varied interpretations of Christianity. Theses such as Original Sin, Divine Grace, and the Harmony of Faith and Reason became cornerstones of the faith. They shaped religious debates, formed the basis of doctrinal teachings, and continue to influence Christian thought even into the 21st century. Furthermore, they mark Christian theology's ongoing evolution under historical and intellectual influences, demonstrating the faith is not static but continues growing and evolving. Much like a living tree reaching towards the heavens—part eight, Crusades and the Expansion of Christianity. The Crusades were one of the quintessential events that engineered the expansion of Christianity. Their motivation and organization were rooted in the religious, societal, political, and economic dynamics of the medieval era. A complex interplay of factors ignited a series of military campaigns sweeping across continents, driven by the dual objectives of re-establishing Christian control over the Holy Land and halting Muslim expansion. Pope Urban, too, instigated the First Crusade with his appeal at the Council of Clermont in 1095, urging Christians to wage a holy war to free Jerusalem from the infidels. This referred primarily to the Seljuk Turks, whose newly acquired territory included Jerusalem. The Pope's clarion call to arms was received with pious fervor, thus commencing the organized series of crusades. In essence, they were expeditions undertaken in fulfillment of solemn vows to propagate Christianity, demonstrating a synergy between religious motivation and pragmatic power structures. The Crusades left an indelible imprint not only on Christian-Muslim relations, but also on East-West Church relations. The Eastern Orthodox and Western Roman Catholic churches had been engaged in bitter disputes over theological doctrines and ecclesiastical authority, culminating in the Great Schism of 1054. The Crusades, particularly the Fourth in which Constantinople was sacked, deepened the existing fissure. Animosities rose sufficiently to preclude any real possibility of reconciliation, exacerbating the dichotomy between the Eastern and Western churches that persists in some measure till today. The Crusades also precipitated a profound transformation of Christian-Muslim relations, leading to an intense and long-lasting state of animosity. The merciless massacres of Muslims in Jerusalem during the First Crusade and subsequent atrocities exacerbated tensions. The shared spaces of veneration became the contested landscapes of religious wars, fostering centuries of religious hatred. However, it is also noteworthy that the Crusades engendered periods of peaceful coexistence and mutual cultural exchange, such as during the enlightened reign of Saladin. Indeed, the Crusades had far-reaching effects beyond the battlefield, they contributed a great deal to the dynamism and resilience of the medieval church, solidifying papal authority. Together with heightened piety, they fostered ecclesiastic reforms, while the need to finance these expeditions expeditions expedited the development of efficient taxation systems, birthing the modern concept of state the crusades marked a watershed moment in the history of christianity irrevocably altering the course of church narratives into religious interactions and global geopolitics the echoes of these crusades can still be heard in the annals of our present world reminding us of the implications of war the resilience of faith and the enduring impact of history as we continue onward let us delve further into the middle ages and unfold the chronicle of the papacy during this era rich with machinations and marked by controversy. Part 9. Papacy in the Middle Ages Among the pivotal forces that shaped the trajectory of the Middle Ages was the papacy. The Middle Ages witnessed extraordinary transformations in the papal administration and significant events that shaped Christianity. The investiture controversy, a striking affirmation of papal monarchy, was entwined with power politics and religion in the 11th and 12th centuries. Kings and emperors had long held the prerogative to appoint bishops and abbots within their realms, thereby heavily infiltrating the Church with influence and control. However, Pope Gregory VII ardently campaigned for ecclesiastical appointments to be an exclusive prerogative of the Church, thereby severing the ties between secular authority and spiritual offices. This tussle over investiture culminated in the Concordat of Worms in 1122, where a compromise was struck. Secular authorities relinquished their power of spiritual investiture, however retained some influence over appointments. This schism was pivotal, fortifying the Pope's authority while subtly diminishing the authority of secular rulers. Another significant facet of the Papacy in the Middle Ages was the Papal Inquisition, the fight against heresy. Heresy was perceived as a grave threat to the Church's doctrinal purity and unity. Beginning in the thirteenth century under Pope Gregory IX, papal inquisitors, often Dominican and Franciscan friars, were deputed to root out heresy. The objective extended beyond punishment of individuals to uprooting heretical belief systems, often leading to dire consequences such as forced repentance, imprisonment, or execution. Despite being a somber chapter in the Church's history, The Inquisition's establishment marked a crucial effort by the papacy to assert doctrinal control and standardization. The Avignon Papacy, or the Babylonian Captivity, presents another essential dimension during this period. Between 1309 and 1376, seven consecutive popes, all French, resided in Avignon, France, rather than in Rome. This situation arose from the fractious political climate and the uneasy relationship between the papacy and the French monarchy. Although the Avignon papacy was marked by administrative reform and sophistication, it also opened the door to increased secular influence and the perception of corruption. Then the return to Rome led to the Great Schism, a split within the Church from 1378 to 1478 to 1417, where competing cardinals elected two different popes, each claiming legitimacy. This schism shook the cardinal doctrine of one true pope leading to a considerable crisis of leadership and legitimacy in the Church. Eventually it was resolved at the Council of Constance, emphasizing the need for conciliarism and collaboration in the Church's governance. Therefore, as we delve into the history of the Papacy in the Middle Ages, we witness the evolving complexities of power, enforcement of orthodoxy, and the struggle for maintaining religious and political equilibria. From the investiture controversy, through the Inquisition, and on to the Avignon Papacy and the Great Schism, it is evident that the Papacy strove to exert its authority whilst wrestling with external influences. Part Ten: The Renaissance and Church Reform In the section on the Renaissance and Church Reform, we embark on a journey through a transformative period in history that significantly shaped the Church. The Renaissance, a period flourishing with artistic, cultural, and intellectual milestones, bore an integrative mirroring reflection on the papacy. This era, draped in humanism, was a departure from the church-centered medieval life towards a more secular, individual-centric concept. The Renaissance papacy, led by humanist popes such as Nicholas V and Leo X, became patrons of arts, literature, and architecture, commissioning grandeur works like the Sistine Chapel. It was a concoction of spiritual responsibilities and secular administration, with both being equally revered. One cannot discuss church reform without mentioning Desiderius Erasmus, a Dutch humanist and theologian instrumental in initiating the critical thinking needed for future reformation. Erasmus, often referred to as the morning star of reformation, sowed the seeds of reform by emphasizing the return to original biblical sources and an inner piety. His satirical work in praise of folly criticized the Church's moral failings and abuses, subtly questioning the omnipotent Church authority. His call for a Philosophia Christi, a more earnest emulation of Christ, led to a widespread call for renewal and reform in the Church. The Renaissance saw its end on what was, ironically, a dark note in Church history, the sack of Rome in 1527. The crisis of the papacy, led by Charles V's mercenary army, resulted in the catastrophic event, the sack of Rome, marking a severe fall from grace. The Church, engorged with secular indulgences, stood vulnerable leading to its defeat. This incident reflected the Church's plummeting influence, triggering a robust call for Church reform. The crisis was a colossal blow to the Renaissance papacy, with the Pope's captivity and the rampant destruction pushing the papacy into a defensive position. This event managed to expose the papacy's worldliness and laxity, paving the route for an impending reformation. The intersection between the Renaissance and the Church was not just a period of increased worldliness, but was a phase that directly led to a thorough introspection of the Church's prevalent practices and governance this transformative era heralded reforms fueled by humanism and a return to pure ethos from the depths of a crisis emerged a plea for change eventually birthing the reformation part eleven challenge of the reformation the reformation was a seismic event in christian history a revolution that sprung from the very womb of the establishment Steeped in disillusionment with the Catholic Church's practices, the Reformation held profound implications for the entirety of Europe, giving birth to the diverse spectrum of Protestantism we see today. At its forefront stood the figure of Martin Luther, an Augustinian monk and theology professor at Wittenberg. Believing the Church had strayed, emphasizing rituals and indulgences over the Word of God, Luther set out to strike at its roots. The spark was his Ninety-Five Theses famously nailed to the door of the castle church in 1517. Denouncing what he saw as the church's corruption and exploitation of lay people's faith for monetary gain, Luther paved the way for a tidal wave of rebellion. Yet Luther's critique was more profound. He contended that only scripture, sola scriptura, not papal decrees or ecclesiastical traditions, should be the guiding principle of Christian doctrine. He pronounced that salvation was received through faith alone, not by good deeds, a doctrine referred to as sola fide. These contentions ignited a flame in an already volatile Europe kindling a religio-political revolution. At the same time, in Geneva, another powerful voice emerged, John Calvin. Calvin further developed the themes of the Protestant Reformation, shaping them into a distinct theology. Calvin's ideas. Encapsulated in his magnum opus, the Institutes of Christian Religion, laid the foundation for numerous Protestant denominations, notably the Reformed and Presbyterian Churches. His Articulation of Predestination The doctrine that God has elected certain souls for salvation and others for damnation was deeply influential yet equally controversial, kindling debates on divine sovereignty and human free will. As the Reformation roiled mainland Europe across the English Channel, a distinct yet related religious transformation unfolded. The English Reformation deviated in that its inception was as much a product of royal manipulation as it was a sincere drive for religious change. King Henry VIII, in his quest for a male heir, broke from Rome to secure his divorce from Catherine of Aragon, establishing an independent Church of England with the monarch as its head. While initially retaining much of Catholic liturgy and theology, The English Reformation gradually absorbed Protestant influences, particularly under the reign of Edward VI and, later, Elizabeth I. The Anglican Church, as it stands, embodies a unique blend of Catholic structure and rituals with Protestant theology, a middle path, a via media. Nevertheless, whether by the quills of theologians or the whims of a king, the Reformation's multitude of challenges resonated throughout Christianity, irreversibly transforming the religious, political, and cultural landscape of Europe. Each stride Martin Luther, John Calvin, and Henry VIII took etched divergent paths in Christian thought and practice, whose echoes persist in today's Church. This crucial period of upheaval propelled the Church to a transformative crossroads Religious authority was no longer monopolized by the centralized hierarchy of the Catholic Church, but was instead imbued into the pages of Scripture and made accessible to laymen and clergy alike. The critique and reform of Christian belief and practice stirred by the Reformation made indelible impacts whose discussions and divisions continue to shape Christianity's diverse face worldwide. Part 12. The Catholic Counter-Reformation The Council of Trent and the Affirmation of Catholic Doctrine In a bid to brace itself against the tidal wave of the Protestant Reformation, the Catholic Church embarked on a chapter of invigorated self-affirmation and organized response known as the Counter-Reformation. Central to this movement was the Council of Trent, an assembly of the highest echelons of the Church convened between 1545 and 1563. In the rolling hills of northern Italy, this Council was not merely a defensive posture against Protestantism, but also a grand introspection, an opportunity for the Church to refine and reaffirm its doctrine. With the goal of defining and standardizing Catholic doctrine in a period marked by religious and theological upheaval, the Council dealt systematically with every point of doctrinal divergence between the Church and its critics. Prominent among the outcomes of this Council was the firm affirmation of the Church's doctrine of sacraments as the means of divine grace conferred ex opere operato, meaning, by the work performed, In essence, the doctrines of the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, the sacrificial character of the Mass, and the necessity of priestly mediation were reaffirmed in the face of Protestant challenges. On the subject of salvation and justification, the Council of Trent forged a nuanced path, upholding the doctrine of original sin and the necessity of sanctifying grace, while avoiding the deterministic tones of predestination featured in some strands of Protestantism. Essentially, the Council affirmed the Church's belief in the synergy of divine grace and human free will in the process of justification. The Council of Trent also focused on reforming the Church's internal structures, addressing issues of ecclesiastical discipline that had fueled the flames of criticism from reformists. Clerical abuses, including absentee bishops, corrupt practices, and poorly trained clergy, were targets of particular concern. New measures were introduced, emphasizing the necessity of episcopal residence, the regular holding of diocesan synods, the establishment of seminaries for the training of clergy, and the prohibition of pluralism and simony. Moreover, the council reinforced the Catholic Church's exclusive claim to interpretive authority over the Bible, decisively asserting the equal authority of Scripture and tradition as well as promulgating the Roman Catholic canon of the Bible, which included the deuterocanonical books disputed by Protestant reformers. The Council of Trent was instrumental in fortifying the Catholic Church against the tempest of Reformation brewing around it, and set a firm foundation for the vigorous revival of Catholicism that would continue in the following centuries. It laid the groundwork for the development of the Baroque style in the arts, a stunning celebration of Catholic identity that blended the transcendent with the tangible in a dramatic fusion of faith and form. Today, the legacy of the Counter-Reformation and the Council of Trent resonate deeply in the Catholic Church's theological, liturgical, and pastoral practices. Indeed, the indelible footprints of this Council can be traced throughout the vast landscapes of Catholic belief, spirituality, and culture. In our next section, we will delve deeper into the Counter-Reformation by discussing the Society of Jesus, commonly known as the Jesuits, and their instrumental role in the renewal of Catholicism. Part 13. Christianity in the New World As Europe dove headlong into the age of exploration in the 15th and 16th centuries, the Iberian nations of Spain and Portugal led the charge. Compelled by ambitious motives—those of wealth, power, and religion—these nations sought not only to claim new foreign territories for themselves, but also to convert the native peoples to Christianity. The church as the dominant religious institution, wielded considerable power and influence within these colonies, actively guiding their efforts in the New World. In the Spanish and Portuguese colonies, the Church served a critical multifunctional role. Bishops often acted as administrators or advisors to governors, while priests offered spiritual guidance to settlers. Moreover, the Church prompted humanitarian efforts protesting against the brutal treatment of Native Americans, Yet alongside these efforts was a darker side. The Church was instrumental in enforcing European dominance, often using conversion as a tool of cultural assimilation or control. A distinct example of this evangelical effort is outlined by the creation of Native American Christianity, an amalgamation of indigenous beliefs with the doctrines of Catholic faith. In regions like present-day Mexico and Peru, religious orders like the Franciscans, Jesuits, and Dominicans carried out aggressive campaigns of conversion. They instituted mission systems, where native peoples were taught European crafts, farming techniques, and, most importantly, Christian doctrines. These endeavors led to a unique, syncretic blend of old and new faiths, which served simultaneously as a form of spiritual resilience and cultural survival for the indigenous people. Across the Atlantic, in the budding English colonies of North America, a different brand of Christian practice was taking root. Driven by the desire for religious freedom and the promise of economic opportunities, these settlers included a mixture of individuals and groups, among them the English Puritans. Primarily Calvinist and anti-Catholic in their beliefs, these Puritans sought to purify the Anglican Church of what they perceived to be residual Popish elements inherited during Catholic reign. Their migration to the New World was fueled by the hope of establishing a Puritan city upon a hill, a shining beacon of righteous living that could serve as an example to the corrupt European churches. The Puritans played a central role in the formation of American Protestantism, their dedication to simplicity in worship and personal piety shaping the religious culture of New England. They championed principles such as individualism, egalitarianism and congregationalism, all of which arose from their vision of the Church as a community of visible saints accountable to God and each other. This principle deeply influenced other Protestant groups such as Baptists and Quakers, profoundly shaping America's religious landscape. Thus, while the vehicles of Christianity spread into the New World differed substantially, the blurring of lines between Church and State remained a constant denominator in colonization efforts. The result was a vastly diversified Christian presence in the Americas, marked by the broad spectrum of practices between Catholicism and Protestantism and Protestantism, and a uniquely indigenous Christianity persisted within the native communities. This exceptional evolution of faith in the New World offers compelling insights into Christianity's ability to adapt to novel cultures while simultaneously exerting its influence upon them. Part 14. Christianity in Modern Times In delving into our fourteenth section Christianity and modern times, we see a distinct change in the direction of the Church's influence and the new religious movements that emerged in the twentieth century. Heralding this era, we observe the significant role the Church played in the politics of Europe. From medieval times the Church's influence rang loud in the political, social, and economic facets of European society, displaying an impressive longevity. By the turn of the twentieth century, however, the Church was under significant strain due to the relentless shifts caused by modernity. It was a crucial player in events like World War II, where Pope Pius XII, despite criticism, endeavoured to maintain peace amidst a world consumed by war. While the Church's political clout has waned significantly in contemporary times, it remains a potent symbol and mediator in moments of intense political strife. Parallel to this evolution in Europe, a distinct form of Christianity was quietly blossoming in America—the rise of evangelical Christianity. Posing a remarkable contrast with the orthodoxy of the Old World, this new branch of Christianity emphasized a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, spirited worship, and fervor for proselytization. Evangelicalism quickly spread its wings, capturing the hearts and minds across denominations and continents its social and political influence resonates to this day seen manifestly in the moral majority of the nineteen eighties and presently in its complex relationship with american conservatism treading back to catholicism which was wrestling to reconcile its time-honoured traditions with the demands of the modern world we encounter a beacon of reform in vatican ii Initiated under Pope John XXIII in 1962, this ecumenical council, second of its kind, sought to modernize the Catholic Church. Heralding monumental changes, it departed from the use of Latin, in favor of vernacular during church services, advocated for religious freedom, and called for increased engagement with the modern world. Vatican II also displayed an attitude of openness towards other religions, fostering interfaith dialogue and unity. By the time it closed in 1965, under Pope Paul VI, the Church was set on a new trajectory, one acknowledging the challenges and nuances of contemporary society while remaining firmly rooted in the teachings of Christ. Hence, modern times presented Christianity with new challenges and opportunities. It redefined its role in society and politics, gave birth to vibrant new movements, and spurred on self-reflection and reform in the bastions of ancient tradition. As we wade into the future, the Church remains cognizant of its past and hopeful for its ongoing journey in the service of Christendom. Part 15. Christianity Today and the Future of the Church Living in an era marked by unprecedented global connectivity and accessibility, the Church is presented with both immense challenges and extraordinary opportunities. The interconnectedness of today's world has promulgated a growing need for ecumenism and Christian unity facilitating a broad spectrum of interdenominational alliances striving towards a cohesive Christian identity. The hunger for Christian unity is not purely idealistic or theoretical. It is propelled by the mutual recognition of the collective strength, morale, and capability we uncover in our shared faith. Ecumenical movements manifest in a variety of forms—cross-denominational worship services, joint congregation efforts in charity initiatives, and shared educational resources, each one underscoring the universal themes of acceptance, love, and community inherent in Christian teachings. Furthermore, the Church finds its mission amplified in the pursuit of social justice and championing human rights. Its role is not limited to the four walls of a cathedral, but extends into the public square where violations against human dignity and equity persist. Churches worldwide are rising up to confront issues such as poverty, racism, and environmental neglect, grounding their advocacy in the biblical doctrine of Imago Dei, that every human being is created in the image of God, and therefore entitled to respect and dignity. In particular, Pope Francis, with his landmark encyclical Laudato Si, underscores our shared responsibility as caretakers of creation, heralding the Church's role in environmental activism. Other denominations, too, leverage their influence for positive change, supporting education initiatives, health care reforms, and civil liberties, especially for marginalized communities. The Church's stand on these issues is an unmistakable embodiment of its commitment to the Gospel's holistic concern for both soul and body, individual and society. Venturing beyond issues of intra-religious cohesion and social action, Christianity must also navigate the complex dynamics of a pluralistic world, which brings us to interfaith relations and the challenge of secularism. As Christianity finds itself coexisting alongside a multitude of faith traditions, the challenge becomes one of fostering mutual understanding, while maintaining doctrinal integrity, all the while contending with an increasingly secular society, often sceptical, if not outright dismissive, of religious claims. Interfaith dialogues serve to both clarify misconceptions and reveal shared values among differing faiths, fostering an atmosphere of peace and mutual respect. However, these dialogues must also grapple with significant, often contentious differences in doctrine and practice, without glossing over them in a misguided quest for unity. Secularism, with its emphasis on a purely humanistic approach to morality and life's meaning, also presents a significant challenge. Many Christians are finding their faith lampooned as antiquated superstition with secular narratives dominating academic, scientific, and cultural discourse. In response, the Church must learn to participate in these public spaces, invoking both reason and faith, illustrating the ongoing relevance of Christianity in addressing life's most profound questions, reminding an often skeptical world that the wisdom of the kingdom of God still speaks to the human heart. Now, and always, in all these realms, ecumenism, social justice, interfaith relationships, and secularism, the Church continues to seek its place and articulate its role. These are complex, challenging arenas of engagement. However, they are also ones of profound promise and potential, arenas where the love of God can be lived out and the transformative power of the gospel can resonate anew across our interconnected globe. This concludes our podcast titled, Christianity and the Rise of the Church. We hope to see you again on our next installment of Professor Lan A. I. Explores Humanity. Thank you.